Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. This affects our daily lives. Don't get me wrong, what's happening in Israel does, right? Terrorists that are able to get to the United States affects our lives. The southern border, which is always the biggest story in America, affects our daily life. It's it just, just fact, just true. I don't say no to it. But how about the idea of Kamala Harris talking about how we're going to do away with coal-powered plants? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Now, you could say to me, Tony, this has always been the plan of the left. Correct. Has anybody discussed the fact that this plan has no actual basis uh, in terms of reality? The fantasy is to get rid of coal. The fantasy is to get rid of fossil fuels or whatever the dang thing is that, that, that they call them today. Because they change, right? They, they have a different thing that they call them all the time. The question before us is, what do you replace it with? The fantasy is the idea that you can replace this stuff with solar and with wind, and you cannot. You can want it. Well, sure, you can want it. You can want Margot Robbie. You can want a series of things. You can be a Jets fan and just want them to have a quarterback who can throw a touchdown. We all have wants, but reality is different. And reality just dictates that you are never going to meet Margot Robbie. And reality dictates that the New York Jets cannot throw a touchdown pass. This is reality. Not really a deniable thing. So when you take a look at, at what's going on with, with the coal and the idea of uh, swearing off of it, this was, uh, what was the, the, the event she was at? The COP28? Is that what it's called? Some, oh, Lord only knows. This was Kamala Harris in her own words. Around the world, there are those who seek to slow or stop our progress. Leaders who deny climate science, delay climate action, and spread misinformation. Corporations that greenwash climate inaction and lobby for billions of dollars in fossil fuel subsidies. In the face of their resistance, and in the context of this moment, we must do more. I'm sorry, in the face of their resistance? It's not resistance to note that you need oil in order to run a society. But it is something else for the vice president of the United States to say, if you're a denier, we're coming for you. As has been um, discussed, uh, and it wasn't me who who first discussed it, but it was certainly the, 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 the rational argument. Uh, these uh, third world nations that want to feed their people, that want to grow, that want to build, they're not going to be poor just so some rich Americans can feel better about themselves. Who the hell are you? Some limousine liberal wants to put an end to, to fossil fuels, so pick your third world nation can't lift their people out of poverty because they're not allowed to have the energy to do so because of pollution, because of what they claim is hurting the environment. Third world nations won't buy into this. 
Neither will first world nations like China. And just for the sake of clarity, China is a first world nation. Everybody knows this. Everybody who's a rational person knows this. China is a first world nation. China will not abide by any of this. And anybody who thinks that you can get to some level of agreement on climate with China is a fool. There's a reason we call these people useful idiots. This isn't to be mean. This is about recognizing how lost they are in the argument. China is thirsty. And China remains thirsty. China was thirsty yesterday. They're thirsty today. They're going to be thirsty tomorrow. They want a drink. And what do they want a drink of? Well, power. Actual energy. They have to grow an economy, which is failing them miserably. They've got a uh, a population that is aging out, and they don't have a population coming in underneath, underneath it because they decided to do a one-child policy, and uh, they eliminated their ability to build up their population. And you say to me, they have 1.4 billion people. That's now. 100 years from now, 500 million people. And you say to me, still bigger than the United States, and I'll say to you, maybe, but it ain't 1.4 billion they're going to lose 800 to 900 million people. Not because of some attack from their communist government, although it's always possible, because they're going to age out and they have no population to, to uh, come in underneath it. This is their issue. And when it comes to their economy, they made the same mistakes that Japan did regarding infrastructure, and now they're suffering through it. 100% suffering through it. They will not sacrifice opportunities for growth because Kamala Harris thinks it's really cool that she has a compost heap. Also, Kamala Harris has a gas stove. You, 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 saw, you saw it yourself. You saw it yourself when, you, uh, uh, when, when she was taking a picture for Thanksgiving. It was her and her husband. Oh, they're so in love. I mean, I only hope. I only hope because the, the the conversations cannot be that stimulating. And and uh, they, they took the picture and she's there with the gas stove and you're like, my gosh, a gas stove. That She is single-handedly killing the children's, I tell you, with her, with her gas stove. But, you know, when they do something, you know, you, you're not allowed to leave your house uh, because of COVID. But Nancy Pelosi can get a haircut and Gavin Newsom can go to French Laundry and, and all these things uh, can take place. They're, they're special people. China will not listen. China does not care how many hashtags the United States makes. China does not care what it is uh, that, that pick your uh, socialist has to say. They want what they want, which is power. And to get the power, they need power. They're not going to stop. You think India is going to stop with oil when they see their opportunity to finally push a little more ahead and maybe bring some of these other people in India out of poverty? They're not going to stop. What a crazy, crazy thought to think that they will. No, that's not happening. So the idea that the U.S. has joined uh, with this phasing out of coal power, powering past coal alliance, it's what it's called. Powering past coal alliance. They, they, uh, they always got a good title for everything. They really do. Uh, this, is, this is about fantasy. This is not about reality. This is not anything to do with how one's life is better. Because just for the sake of clarity, one's life is not better without oil. It's worse. It is far, far worse. You can't 
power the people. You can't have them heat their homes. You can't have energy to get from point A to point B. I have nothing against electric cars, but the electricity gets created somehow, and it's done through oil. So let's not kid ourselves here that somehow we're going to live without it. Society will stop without it, and I just don't think that stopping society is a damn good idea. I think it's a damn terrible idea. It's a miserable, pathetic idea. It is shameful and ridiculous, and yet the left is in love with it, in love with it. Just remember that when you vote, would you please? That would that would be great. I would appreciate it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. That's in just a few minutes. But what Sheila Jackson Lee has done is just given us just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to laugh at her. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything going on over at TonyKatz.com. You can actually subscribe and be a part of what we're doing. Be supportive. I'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Of course, you can just, you know, uh, catch uh, the basic things and leave comments and do all that. It's free if you want it to be free. TonyKatz.com. Sheila Jackson Lee is uh, the congresswoman from Houston. And Sheila Jackson Lee was last in the news because there is audio of her chastising and cursing out her staff. You're all so stupid. You're so blanking dumb. You're blanking this and blanking that. You're blanking children and blankety blank, blank, blank. And your mother's a blank and dad's a blank. And have I talked about your blank? Because that's a blankety blank, blank, blank. Uh, It was it was rough. And and if that had been a Republican, uh, clearly they would have been censured uh, or, or something like that. But it was a Democrat, so nothing happened. Although I did run into a great number of people who are like, that's exactly how 20-something should be spoken to at all times. These, these children don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to respond to things. It is, it's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. It, it, they, they deserve to be chewed out every second of the day. All right. All right, that's a that's a that's a solid point. This this is a little different. This is Sheila Jackson Lee and a commercial that is running cuz she's running for mayor. Listen. Care. Houston, I've spent my entire career fighting for you. From fighting to keep our kids safe from guns when I was on city council to my days in Congress fighting to protect women's reproductive freedom and for funding for our police, schools and small businesses. Now I'm running to be your mayor, because if we're going to bring down crime, fix our streets and bring good paying jobs here, then Houston needs a champion who's ready to fight for what's right. And I am. If you see the ad. You could see that the ad reads, vote on December 7th. The only problem is that the election is on December 9th. It's, that is so beautiful. I, 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 mistakes get made. I am aware of this. I just don't know how that mistake gets made. I don't know how it's possible to make that mistake and also you're giving people the wrong day to an election isn't that misinformation and isn't that something that you should be charged for isn't that a crime in today's america dang it i thought it was a crime i thought i i I thought it was uh and of course uh nothing will happen to sheila jackson lee because nothing is going to happen to sheila jackson lee 
This moves us over to a story that I was told. And this has to do with Indiana University, which is uh, Bloomington uh, on radio. We're heard there in WGCL. And I, I actually talked about uh, something that happened on uh, on the campus there when when we talk about what happened uh, with Hamas and the terrorist attack. There was this statement that was put out by the, the, the university. IU is heartbroken over the horrific violence that has occurred over the past few days. With heartfelt empathy and compassion, we stand ready to provide comprehensive counseling and support services to assist our students faculty and staff affected by these attacks. Um, there was no statement about Hamas as a terrorist organization. And it seems that Pam Witten, who's the president of the university, got a lot of pressure to then put out a statement on her own. Uh, but it's, I think for a lot of people, it was lacking. But that's not the story. That's just a, a bit of a preface. Here's the, here's the story. The story is that in the Indiana University paper, the Indiana Daily Student, was this piece by uh, a guy by the name of Jared Quigg, Q-U-I-G-G. And the uh, it was opinion piece, and the headline was, there will never be peace until Palestine is free. And you're like, oh, well, we... We understand what you're all about. And if you read Jared Quigg's uh, pieces, uh, this is a guy who is uh, 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 against, um, what you call he's, he's against uh, capitalism. This is a guy who uh, is, is a believer in, in socialism. And it was very obvious from, from the piece, very obvious from the piece that uh, he favors Hamas. That was my take from it. The story I heard is as follows. And for the people listening in Bloomington, and if this has happened where you are, I want, I want to hear about it too. What I am told, and I heard this in a public speech from somebody who I think would know, is that there were students who objected to the piece. Well, that's fine. You can object to an opinion piece. And they wrote a letter to the editor. To object to it. Now, there has been a piece that I did see in the in the in the Daily Student uh, that um, talked about that there's no room for anti-Semitism. There was a piece like that. But what I'm told is is that this guy Jared Quigg is the guy who decides what letters to the editor get published in the student newspaper, and he did not allow letters to be published. Now, I need to find out if that's true. I need to know if that is true. Did the did the student newspaper actually go forward and say we will not publish a letter that is critical of this piece because the guy who wrote the piece decides what letters go in? Because that's not a newspaper at that moment. Note, uh, I, I said they can print a, an opinion piece that I disagree with. They, they, they certainly can. I'm not going to question, I'm not going to argue with, it, uh, with, with the idea of printing it, although I might disagree with it. But the, 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 the very concept that you can't get a letter to the editor printed, well, that's something very, very different. So, A, I want to know if it happens. Uh, you, you can email me. Uh, Tony at TonyCats.com. 
Uh, you can uh, call into the show, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. You can leave a message uh, on the socials, whether that be the ex-Twitter or whether that be even Facebook or, or over at Locals at TonyCats.com. But if it's true, if it's true, then I would argue that the school has a lot to answer for. And again, I trust the source tremendously. But going past the part about answering for, allow me to be of service. If you wrote a letter to the editor regarding Jared Quigg's piece, regarding his piece uh, that reads, there will never be peace until Palestine is free. If you wrote one and they did not print it, I will read it on the air. Or I'll let you read it on the air. I will read it or I will let you read it. Students at Indiana University, absolutely not. Will we be allowing anybody to be silenced on this subject? Because this subject is not actually the Israel subject, which we're going to get into. Yanam Cohen, who is uh, the uh, Council General to the Midwest uh, from Israel, is scheduled to be with us coming up in a little bit. This is about whether or not we actually allow a free interchange of ideas and thoughts and whether or not it happens on college campuses. Because I think if we were to ask ourselves, you and me, uh, sitting at a bar stool, having a bourbon, because, well, it'll probably be a rye, neither here nor there, uh, we'd be like, yeah, no, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen at all. There is no free interchange of ideas on a college campus. The left could say whatever it wants. The right gets physically attacked or screamed out. Scream down, shut down the whole thing. We see it time and again and again. We see it again and again and again. So, I am, uh, I am curious to see how it comes about. Curious to see whether or not anybody will reach out and say, I absolutely positively was silenced absolutely was silenced and without question i have something to say because we're going to let you say it we are going to let you say it right here and i'll I'll read it for you if you want me to i will read it i might give it some dramatic flourishes or i will let you read it but the idea of college campuses not allowing the free interchange and expression of, of, of ideas this is everything that's a problem this is everything that's an issue This is exactly what we need to confront in so many places because this has nothing to do whether the subject is about Israel and Hamas or whether the subject is about the southern border or the subject is about China. It's about what do we want from these institutions. And yes, we do get a say. We're supposed to trust these institutions. We're supposed to trust the students coming out of these institutions to run companies and businesses and be elected places. We damn well have a say in what happens. And we need to make sure that those people who want to have a say get a chance to do so. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get a chance to do so. I'm gonna give that chance to uh, to as many people as I can. This is my plan, and I think I think uh, to the to the very best of my ability, it's a dang good plan. You know, I'm Cohen is uh, the Council General to the Midwest from the State of Israel. What is going on? What happened with the ceasefire? How do they view the United States' support or maybe lack thereof? We will speak to the Council General coming up in just a bit. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.
So when we see it, when we see that people like uh, squad member Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman Lies, and Ilhan Omar pushes forth what she pushes forth, when we see people like Congressman Andre Carson uh, of, of Indianapolis move forward with conversations that don't actually address the terrorism of Hamas, we are left to wonder what it is that they favor. And what we have seen, in my view, is a favoring of of Hamas. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And now that the ceasefire has been broken by Hamas after the murder of three Israelis in Jerusalem, and then sending in more rockets into the southern part of Israel, Israel has now stated they will be going into the southern part of Gaza. They do not plan at all to stop. Yet we have all across America the continued call for a ceasefire. So what is Israel's plan? How do the Israelis see it? And how do they view American response? Yanam Cohen joins me uh, right now. Yanam Cohen is the council general uh, for uh, Israel uh, to the Midwest. I bring him out here uh, right now. And sir, it's good to have you uh, on the program as a part of the, of the show. Uh, before we get into what's going on in the United States, as you're based in Chicago, before we get into um, uh, the, the breaking of the ceasefire by Hamas, let's start with uh, the Israeli people. What has the past 60 days been like? And 60 days later, 60 days past, give or take, uh, um, October 7th, what is it that the Israelis want? It is very simple. So, since, you know... October 7th, which we have to remind was the biggest slaughter, intentional slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, we have two major goals. The first one is to release all the hostages and bring them back home. And the second one is to eliminate Hamas and its leadership to make sure that they won't be able to perpetrate what they did on October 7th in the future. And we have every reason to believe that um, they would try to do that if they can, not because it is my estimation, but because I'm listening to them. And they say it over and over again on, on, you know, openly on the TV. They say, if we can, we'll do it over and over again. So this is our moral duty to make sure they will never do it again. So the, when, when Hamas breaks the ceasefire, you know, mm-hmm. you talk about you listening to them, and, and we listen to them uh, as well. They talk about October 7th and say, this is just the beginning, an opening salvo, things like that. Am I to understand it that the Israeli people believe that Hamas is never going to stop and they have now come to the place maybe after years or maybe they always felt this way and now they're solidified in it. It is us or them and they're going to choose uh, their own survival. I have no doubt. Um, whenever Hamas has a possibility, they will do it. They've been preparing for, the, for that for years. They've been building an infrastructure that is unlike any other in the world. They have the biggest underground infrastructure in the world that was built, by the way, with, uh, you know, American and European taxpayers' money. So this is uh, what they're preparing for for years, and this is what they want to do. This is what they did on October 7th. This is what they're going to do if they have the chance to do it again. And again, it's our job to make sure they will be never, never able to do it again. Talking to Yanam Cohen, he is uh, the Israel Council General to the Midwest. Uh, and 
to to that end, uh, it has been learned, of course, uh, since they broke the ceasefire, uh, entering into southern Gaza. Of course, there's been many uh, attacks into northern Gaza, and you have uh, told people to uh, evacuate uh, the area, and Hamas has prevented some evacuations in some places. The Rafah Gate opened. That would allow some level of, I guess, what they're calling refugee. <clears throat> now we're looking at an attack in the southern part of, of Gaza, uh, this amongst Israelis uh, is, you know, for the United States, they've said, oh, you've already moved people there. There are too many civilians. It just can't be done. We've heard from Anthony Blinken saying that you don't have a check that you can cash. You don't have the credit to be able to do this kind of attack. But Israel seems to be moving forward. How does this take place? We're moving forward because we have every reason to believe that uh, the top leadership of, of Hamas is hiding behind behind civilians in the southern part of, of, of Gaza. It is, as I said, part of our um, you know, goals to eliminate all the leadership. We had great success in the northern part of Gaza, both in the, um, you know, our estimation, our intel tells us that something between five to 6,000 Hamas operatives have been killed during this uh, operation, and we now have to go to the southern part to complete the mission. Now we take very seriously everything the American administration is 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 you know is saying as part of the very intimate um, and close discussions that we have because they, this is what friends do. We have uh, we listen carefully and we do and I mean we don't need the Americans to tell that we would do it anyways. I mean we take every uh, precaution to make sure that we mitigate the number of civilians uh, who are you know uh, getting. Uh, unfortunately killed during this operation because Hamas is hiding behind them. So what we're trying to do right now in the south of the Gaza Strip is to make sure or even to start with new plans to make sure that um, we operate in very specific areas or blocks, as we call them, to make sure that uh, we mitigate the numbers, uh, the numbers of civilians who are getting uh, you know, uh, killed in this operation. To that end, uh, this was John Kirby, a spokesperson for the National Security Council, on uh, Face the Nation, which is CBS, uh, one of the Sunday shows. Listen to this. It certainly sounds like the Netanyahu government has not made the changes that they have been asked to make for the past few weeks. They have been receptive to those messages. Those messages that he delivered in public, we are also delivering in private. For three they have weeks been, or more now, including on this program. They have been receptive to those messages. Now, again, I want to make it clear. The right number of civilian casualties is zero. And it's clearly many thousands have been killed and many more thousands have been wounded. And now more than a million are internally displaced. We're aware of that. And we know that all of that is a tragedy. We grieve with all those families. That's why we continue to work, as Secretary <clears throat> Austin said, with our Israeli counterparts to get them to be as careful and as precise and as deliberate in their targeting as possible. And I would tell you, as I said, they have been receptive. They went into North Gaza with a, a much smaller force than what they had originally planned to do. And here you have in the, last, the United States slowed down those operations. And if you have in the last 24 hours, they have been putting a map online of places where people in Gaza need to avoid and, and need to go. They don't I don't have know, t- connectivity but, widely in Gaza. But you know that. well, they've also been doing it with paper and, and leaflets and that. What I found fascinating about this, uh, General Cohen, talking to Yanam Cohen, the Council General from Israel to the Midwest of the United States, is that here's John Kirby, who is saying that Israel has been easy to work with on this subject, yet it is Margaret Brennan there 
who is pushing back that Israel isn't doing this. Israel's only doing this because you forced them to it. Israel isn't allowing power in, in, into Gaza, so much so that one of the IDF spokespeople speaking to Sky News actually had to push back on this idea that the people of Gaza don't have connectivity. Very short of time. I'm so sorry that we're going to have to um, speed things up. We are about to run out of time. But I just wanted to ask you very quickly about that digital map. You're telling people where is going to be targeted next. People don't have power to power up their uh, mobile phones. They haven't got Wi-Fi. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think you and all of your viewers saw our hostages being paraded through the streets as they were released to Israel over those seven nights and hundreds of Gazans holding their phones, videoing them. So clearly there's enough power to power their phones when they're parading our hostages throughout Gaza. Now that same power to their phones will be to get the maps, download the maps, look at the flyers, and don't forget, we're not only... I'm so sorry, we are out of time, but we appreciate uh, your comments this evening. We're always out of time, right, when the answer comes, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, we are. That we is not surprising. Not, but let sir. me tell you something. You know, I, I, mean, we'll, I mean, we care a lot about our, our you know, our very intimate, intimate discussions with the American administration. America is our closest friend in the world, our most important ally, and we listen very carefully to everything America has to tell us. You know, we would not regard Sky News or even other media outlets um, whether, you know, we have to defend our people or not. We do whatever ne- is necessary to defend our people to get the, this, you know, historic in historic terms uh, danger away from our borders. And we'll do whatever necessary to make sure that October 7th, the slaughter of more than 1,200 uh, Israelis, Jews and non-Jews, by the way, alike, uh, will never happen again. This is our moral duty. The, the moral duty... Um is not only within Israel itself, I, w- I would argue. F- follow me, if you would, for, for the moment. Um, you're, Of course, I would agree that you have every right to protect and defend yourselves, and that involves taking out people who want to continue to attack you. But to do that is difficult, or is made more difficult, when uh, people who are allies or even other nations want to hold you to a different standard. And this is why I brought up these these two pieces about how media is acting uh, towards Israel in this. How does Israel view? I understand your point. You're going to continue to do, Israel's going to continue to do and try and do everything it's possible it needs to to keep Israelis safe, right? I butchered that a little bit, but you get my point. But how do Israelis view how the U.S. press and maybe U.S. elected officials, U.S. campuses, as I talked about college campuses earlier, how do they view how those things are being represented regarding Israel? Thank you. This is a very broad question. I have to say, we see uh, um, an American administration that is very supportive of Israel. True, they sometimes have some uh, nuances about how to do things, and we definitely discuss that. But we see an administration that is very supportive uh, to Israel, that understands the need of eliminating Hamas, and I'm grateful for that. I see. I look at the United uh, the United States uh, Congress, and I see a very united Congress uh, that's standing behind Israel, both Republicans and Democrats. True, there is, um, I would say, what I call the ceasefire camp. That is, um, some progressive uh, Congress members who are calling for an immediate ceasefire, which means, in other words, please save Hamas, stop the fire and save Hamas. 
we will not accept that. We try to engage in conversations with them. Sometimes uh, we're more successful in that. Sometimes uh, we're less successful. I was listening, by the way, last night, for example, to one of the progressive leaders in the American Congress, a congresswoman that is known for her progressive values, for defending human rights and defending uh, women's rights. And when she was asked about the massive, uh, systematic, uh, sexual um, uh, violence against Israeli women during October 7th, she was trying to trivialize that or to contextualize that. So this is something that, I, you know what, I find it very distur- disturbing. Um, but we're listening to the majority, the vast majority of Americans and the American elected officials who stand strong with Israel. And uh, look, uh, it's, it, you don't have to name uh, names, sir. I can appreciate your position. But in my position, I have spoken very honestly about the statements of Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal out of Washington State and the trivializing of, of rape and saying that the response has to be balanced. It, it was it was a deplorable statement. And she's uh, feeling the heat, although that doesn't mean she isn't going to get uh, reelected. So now take us through the next steps with the ceasefire done. Does this mean that Israel has given up on the idea of getting these hostages back? Oh, no. No, no, no. We agreed to start to, to pause, not to stop, to pause the, the fire for a certain amount of days because Hamas was agreeing to release uh, some of the hostages. The agreement was so that uh, for every 10 additional hostages, we would uh, prolong the pause of the fire for one more day. Hamas at a certain point on Friday decided not to prolong that. And I was listening very carefully to the uh, spokesperson of the State Department this morning who explained that the reason that Hamas did not want to uh, release more Israeli uh, women, and they're holding more women and more babies, by the way, is that they didn't want these women to testify, to tell the world the story about what happened to them during, you know, their captivity days. Now, one can only imagine... One can only imagine what the, the spokesperson of the State Department was referring to. And again, that connects me to the congresswoman you were mentioning yesterday that was trying to trivialize the horrors that we know that are happening uh, in Hamas captivity and that happened on, Hama- on October 7th. So it's, it's possible, not necessarily probable, but possible that another ceasefire could come? If Hamas agrees to release hostages we might be able to pause the fire again. But again, there will be no ceasefire. You know, people tend to mistake, and I want to I give a, you know, just a few seconds to that because this is important. People associate the word ceasefire with peace. And it couldn't be different in this case because if we're talking about a ceasefire right now, that means to completely stop the fire, completely stop the war against Hamas, that means to keep Hamas alive, to help them rearm, to assist them uh, take again their positions, which means that in a couple of months they will try to perpetrate October 7th again. <clears throat> we will not let, let that happen. So a ceasefire will come only after we complete our two goals. All the, the hostages are being released or rescued by our forces. And secondly, Hamas is eliminated and is unable to perpetrate terror attacks against Israelis again. Yanam Cohen, uh, he is the Council General to the Midwest from Israel. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thank you for having me. To, oh, absolutely. We will do it again and very soon. Yanam Cohen, thank you so much, uh, General. Uh, and uh, we have much more to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.
they have not, even their own witnesses that they brought forward, been able to find a nexus between any of the allegations of Hunter Biden mm -hmm. and the president, uh, Joe Biden, or even when he was vice president. Joe Biden. There's no nexus. There's no there there. Well, if you say so, Delegate Plaskett, if you say so, Delegate Plaskett of the U.S. Virgin Islands, then we believe you. There's no there there. Nothing involving Hunter and Joe Biden. No checks written. No deals given. No money changed. Your whatever you say. Or I'm just I'm just spitballing here. What if. You're more interested in being a partisan than an application of right versus wrong. What? What? Only the Republicans could do that? Nah, maybe you could do that too. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What is going on, uh, everybody? Oh, absolutely precious right there. Doug Burgum has dropped out of the race. Uh, we hardly knew ye. Here's uh, the, the point. This is the governor of North Dakota. I actually think he had a very, very good showing. Of course, he was never going to make it. There was just too much against him. But Doug Burgum's an example of a guy who had success in the private sector, then put himself to the public sector, showed success there. These are the kinds of guys we want interested enough in helping the country. This is, this is exactly what we want. So... If I'm any of these candidates thinking about a future, I think Doug Burton should be around that. That's my take. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.